Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is in between stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. All right, welcome to In Between Stations Radio. Depending on what side of the world you're on, as we always say, <laughs> whether it's night, morning, or day, or where are you anyway, right? Where am I? <laughs> oh, shortwave radio. It's a strange medium. To broadcast in, and that's why we enjoy doing in-between stations radio since, well, I don't know, the early 2000s. No, wait a minute, not the early 2000s. <laughs> that's when I started getting, uh, spending time in radio uh, on AM, FM radio. We had a community radio station we started out in and um, had some fun with that. Um, somewhere, I guess, oh, I don't know, 2009, 2010, we started to experiment with, uh, right? Well, you weren't here, Murky. I guess not. <laughs> Murky's in the studio with me. Uh, the beautiful Murky Ann Bell. Thanks. Um, she's here drinking coffee, right? Well, actually, it's a weird mixture of several strange things. No, no, it's... <laughs> Yeah, right. I guess we're both drinking something that's sort of like coffee. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, we got a new sound system hooked up here. We're going to see if it works. Um, and that's that's a. Uh, so if you see some, uh, or see if you hear some glitches in this, and it might be our sound system. But since we're on shortwave radio, it doesn't matter anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, and you may not be getting this on shortwave radio. And by the way, we're building uh, a new antenna and a system that should be operational. Uh, when's that? Probably a hundred years or so. <laughs> no, we have we have a we have a we have a date. I when, guess I'm hoping in August. At least anyway. <laughs> you're hoping in August. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, you know it's interesting. We found out. Um, that the the place we uh, broadcast from here in Flagstaff, uh, which is actually <laughs> my uh, my little house, uh, half of a house anyway, the the people that originally lived here, I was talking to my next door neighbor, who we're going to have a broadcast with. He's actually uh, a funeral home director, as we call them now, <laughs> a mortician uh, in the old days, the undertaker. Really a, a fun guy, smart. Uh, he's a member of uh, a Hispanic Spanish family that's been in the community for a hundred years, longer than that. I think his family originally comes from New Mexico. So he's one of the core families. He's one of the core families here in Flagstaff. But he's lived across the street from me since he was a boy, and we're kind of the same age. So this is, and he said the original uh, owners of this house had, a, had one of Flagstaff's first shortwave radio stations. They, they they did some AM radio station work out of here, I believe. And and then I was like, oh, that's why we already have a telephone pole in place. Uh, uh, 
at the house where the where we keep our antenna. That's there used to be another. And I, I kind of suspected this. I, I never asked anybody. I I, I kind of thought, yeah, well, maybe the previous people because the the uh, the phone pole as it is is uh it's kind of old. It's kind of risky climbing up there when you have to fix the antenna. And then he said, well, that's originally that's where they they broadcast from. So I, I'm going to do a little more history and find out about that. So we must have something in common. This is a long time ago. This is like, uh, I'm going to give away my age here. This is like 50 years ago. So when he was a boy growing up with his parents, his dad was in the Forest Service. His, his mom worked uh, as a waitress in a local cafes here in Flagstaff. And he talked about um, the people that were very interested and lived across the street. Uh, he's a, we're going to have him on the show in October during Halloween. He's got some interesting theories about COVID. Because he's the main guy here in Flagstaff. Our population two million. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, I know, Murky. Sometimes it seems like a million people. We have the worst traffic here I've ever seen in my life. My mouth's getting dry. Can I have some more? Can I have your coffee, Murky? Keep your mouth off my private stuff, unless you mean business. <laughs> All right, I'll keep my hands off. You've been drinking on mine. So, you messed mine up. And now I'm faced with drinking some of your hot cocoa coffee stuff. <laughs> this is kind of an interesting night. Um, I don't know. 1 o'clock, 2 a.m. here. Uh, it's kind of busy for that, for living on off street in Flagstaff. Where we at, Murky? <laughs> Stop reading your book. We're on the air. Look stupid. It's part of the broadcast. Oh, it's part of our program? Right. What, what's the title of the book, Murky? The Strange and Elusive World Behind Closed Doors. The Strange and Elusive World That We Don't See? Behind Closed Doors. Oh. That we're in what we don't want to admit to or something like that, right? I guess. Okay. Let's see here. Um... Looks like you're the one not paying attention now. Oh, 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 yeah. It was the, the funeral man, stupid. The funeral man, the undertaker. <laughs> He's got some interesting ideas about COVID. He he took care of a large number of people that that uh, that died during uh, COVID during the last two years. And uh, he's he's got some interesting uh, ideas and theories. Uh, I I first met him when I was. Have I talked about this guy before? Yeah. I have Murky. Right. Yeah, I first met him when I was working at uh, Flagstaff Medical Center. Oh, oh, it's been a while ago. And he was the person that would come in the morning and take the bodies uh, out, and then you know prepare them uh, for funerals and other things. He he embalms as well as incinerates is that the right <laughs> I know that's not the right word he does it all and he's one of the main funeral homes here in Flagstaff and he's uh, he's just a really funny guy he, he could be he could be a radio host uh, he gets drunk sometimes uh, he's a hard worker uh, he makes he says he's starting to make money it's, it's a hard business. Uh, he's a well-educated person. He was in the Navy uh, for a long time. And then he decided, because Flagstaff had a lack of funeral directors, um, morticians, he decided to go into that, uh, that occupation. And he said it was kind of hard because uh, there's a lot of uh, 
high-end stuff going on. You don't always make money like you'd think you would. He's just getting to the point in his life. He's been doing 30 years where he's uh, starting to make a little money. Uh, he's just a really nice guy, but he took he took care of a lot of people that died of COVID here in Coconino County, which is the largest county, I think, in the United States. Is that right, Mercury? It's just another useless statistic. Besides, I could care less. You don't care? Right. <laughs> it seems like the largest place in the world. And when you're driving somewhere here, often in the middle of nowhere, it seems to go on and on what? forever. <laughs> when you're driving across the yeah and going out especially out to the reservation murky has uh several boyfriends out there with tribes murky look stupid i don't feel like sharing my love life with all our listeners <laughs> okay all right okay all right okay um so he's gonna be fun to talk to because uh, he's, he's funny uh he can be serious and he's got some interesting statistics and theories about covid uh, and I don't even know if they're theories. This guy actually took care of people that died. So he knows a lot about it. And then and then his his information was kind of suppressed by the county and by the federal government. So he's going to be cool to have on here. But he he's so busy right now that, <laughs> and you can imagine, that this guy gets up at 2 and 3 in the morning. Yeah, and he'll wake me up because he has he's, he even he has a he has a Harley Davidson motorcycle that he starts up sometimes at night, and then and then zooms off to the uh, funeral home, which is ten minutes from here. No, no, it's close. It's more like five minutes. Uh, and uh, but most of the time he takes his quiet little car, and then he goes and works on on bodies of people, uh, and uh, it's pretty interesting stuff so we're gonna have him on in, in actually October. i wouldn't mind having a few drinks with him uh, oh you you think he's good looking Marky? he's a pretty cool guy <laughs> i'll let him know okay oh you i've shot the crap with him a few times already you already talked to him yeah it figures oh okay so getting on with uh on the computer screen here and uh Murky's busy reading her book. She's not interested. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, Murky. Uh, and uh, anyway, most shortwave radio is all high-end tech now. Yeah, we're looking at the because you know most of the shortwave radio now it, it runs uh, on the on the on the computer, and we have a Mac computer here. And so back in the old days, uh, the station was a little different. But even when I worked in uh, the FM station here uh, with my with our little show, we had. Um, it was all computerized. Everything's it's it's pretty small. When I was a kid, a radio station was huge. I'm not saying radio stations aren't big, but you can do a lot of stuff now in a really small place. And then most stations are run by corporations, so they just send you everything, or you tap into it, and then you just push a button and play it. And then occasionally you come on as a as an announcer. I don't know if you, announcer, DJ, whatever, and and do an ad or or present the next show. And it's just plugged into this whole. Uh, um, network and that's kind of AM radio now. I don't even does anybody even listen to FM radio anymore? It's it's kind of boring as hell. We have a local station I listen to. I like a lot. It's, it's one of the last local stations in the whole state of Arizona. There's a really great station, an old cowboy western station out of Wilcox, Arizona. Oh, I love that station, especially when you get with all the static and and at night. Uh, and and, and I th Wilcox is a ways away from uh, Flagstaff's down south there. Yeah, I did the late nights on the air. Oh, 
You done it? You yeah. You did. You you've been on that station, haven't you, Murky? Right. Yeah. And then spent some wild times with Cowboy Fred in the early morning hours at a couple of the local bars. <laughs> yeah, another boyfriend worked there. <laughs> so, I like to sample the landscape a little bit. Anyway, stupid. Let's not go there. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Murky's, you're crazy. <laughs> You don't. You don't need to get married. You have so many. You have so many boyfriends all over the state of Arizona. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Okay. We won't go there. All right. So uh, Wilcox, Arizona, is way down there in Cochise County on the uh, Mexican and uh, Arizona border. It's got some big mountains, right, Murky? Right. Yeah, and I guess three thousand people, maybe. Um, it's has, it's got a little bit of fame for having movies shot there, and um, uh, some famous cowboy was there. I don't remember who it was that did a lot of recordings and stuff, and it kind of got a reputation for a town of uh, good Western music. Not like Bakersfield, California, you know, the Bakersfield sound, which is one of my favorite. No kidding. Oh, you already know, Murky? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but it's and so the, the radio station there is just <clears throat> really awesome to get late at night. You can pick it up on AM. Um, I think it's twelve fifty FM radio. I never get. I don't listen to FM. And what's the twelve fifty is the AM radio station? Oh, that's the oh sorry, that's the AM station, right? That's the cool station. So is it twelve fifty Murky? Right. Twelve fifty AM radio. So when you're in the desert at night here, especially the Painted Desert, where I drive with my dog Gunner and Michka sometimes, and we explore as we call the ghost roads, and we're you know we're off trail, off the main roads a lot. And I'm out in the middle of the desert or on the reservation, uh, and there's not a lot of people where I go. Sometimes I don't see anybody all day, uh, and so I, I can pick up this wonderful station, Wilcox, Arizona, that plays this a lot of really old Western music. It still has a live DJ, as far as I know. Uh, I, I don't listen to the FM. So what, what's the FM, Murky? I don't do FM radio anymore. So who knows? I guess somewhere around 100 on the radio dial. Somewhere around <laughs> somewhere around 100. You don't know neither. Sometimes Murky goes with me, uh, her and her boyfriend. <laughs> no, it, sometimes me and Murky go out there. We I, I think I've done a couple live broadcasts out in the desert. I'm going to do some more. Because I'm gonna, I'm ordering a shortwave broadcasting uh, apparatus. I can broadcast. I've done this before, but it's kind of experimental. This is actually supposed to be a nice setup where I can broadcast from the desert live, and that's going to be fun. Um, so. Uh, hey, stupid! It's not just you. It's both of us that are doing the live broadcast. Uh, Mur Murky's reminding me here that um, that she's going to be broadcasting with me. And so uh, I'm trying to figure out this new setup we have for uh, broadcasting. I said new sound system. Murky reminded me that it's, it's a new broadcasting system. Uh, so we have uh, new mics and stuff set up. We're still, we're, we're, our goal is to, to really get a, a more powerful shortwave station. We, we leave off our um, shortwave frequency number that the FCC has assigned to us. Um, um, we don't we, we edit that out so just so you can get the feel for a radio station because it's boring to hear um, to hear that 
to hear our, our call signs. So it, we're in between stations radio. That's what, at least that's, and that's kind of what we were when we were on AM radio. The FM frequency too. FM too? Right. Yeah, but we, ha- we haven't been there for a long time. So I and Murky talked about um, the, the direction of uh, the broadcast today, and it's kind of... <laughs> Basically, half the time we're not even sure what the hell we're doing. There's no direction. Right. <laughs> well, that's partially your fault, Murky. Um, that, I, but that's kind of, we, we have fun with that. But, and, and again, it's this whole situation, like, what, what's really out there? Um, what, what do we, what do we, we're, we're so busy with our jobs and with our pre-programmed life, our habitual life. You know, I have that too. Uh, and, and we don't have, we don't have time, and, and I think a lot of times the strange and the weird is something that's kind of out there that, that pulls us uh, out of our habitual, our normal life. Did you just say, bitch? I'm just, no, I'm saying habitual. Well, it sounded like you were calling our listeners a naughty word. <laughs> I'm not saying. <coughs> Excuse me. Coffee going down around to you. You have to have coffee sometimes when it's in the middle of the night. And that's confusing, too, because over on the other side of the planet, it's daytime right now. And sometimes when it's, you know, it's like four or five in the afternoon here in in Arizona, Flagstaff, that is just starting, the sun has just went down, say, in in, in, uh, Great Britain. And then, you know, so the the propagation effects are are different because it's the sun's uh, shining on one side of the planet and then it's, uh, and then, the, you know, it's night on the other side. So there's all these interesting things that go along with that shortwave broadcast. But the ionosphere... Uh, the ionosphere. Right. And now you're telling us about farting. <laughs> oh, shut up, Murky. I try my best. Um, the ionosphere really fires up when the sun goes down. And so you get a lot of really cool stuff going in there. And you can pick up all kinds of really bizarre things. And we... Folks, we live in a really strange world. I mean, we, we like to think we everything's within the the, the bounds of, of oh, that's just fake. This is, oh, that's imagination. Because we have this habitual life. We get up, we go to work, uh, we take care of our kids. Uh, we, you know, there's just the things we always do. We go, you go to church or you don't go to church. Or bare naked in bed with your boyfriend. You, <laughs> or you're sleeping with your boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, right, Murky. And um, so, we, I guess we deem the strange is something outside of what we're doing every day. When you go to when you go to the reservation, you go to ceremonies, um, uh, and, and you spend time there, which I love to do. It's it's out it's outside of the range of what we deem uh, as people live in the city. And I mean, we we have our culture, we have our language, uh, the way we've grown up and we've been taught. You know, Great grandparents or grandparents, uh, we, you know, things things follow uh, uh, a familiar format. Generally, <laughs> I mean, this is just baseline wise, and so we we have this comfort zone. We have these responsibilities. We have these things we we assume or we're, that, that are important, and we're, and we're taught they're important from uh, from being small. I mean, you, you might be in these deep. Yeah. I'm a part-time deviant. You're a deviant? Pretty much. <laughs> no doubt about that, Murky. You're a cute one, though. Thanks. <laughs> Stop reading that book or... <laughs> yeah. 
No, she's not. She's not. She she's Murky's always up to something. You know, she's gonna play some trick on the air on me. Like she's. Oh, you want to go to a song, Murky? Yeah. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna go to a song or or, or whatever it is. Okay, here we go.
she was swell. To, you know, these are not real commercial ads. They're always old and, and kind of fun. So um, we, we're not a commercial radio station. N no, no, no. We're a fun radio station. Most of the time, 
Most of the time, Murky. Or at least some of the time, anyway. Some of the time. <laughs> so what you know what what what's out there when when you get when you breach the uh, the everyday familiar world that you're living in, and sometimes you know there can as I mentioned on lots of shows there could be an accident, uh, someone can pass away. Like for instance, I've been kind of on that, that that topic a lot because my my our, my girlfriend Murky's close friend uh, Tiva passed away almost it'll be a year in October and so uh, that's been a part of our, our our broadcast the last little while so when you have these things happen that breach your the your habitual life there goes that naughty word again oh stop it <laughs> all right your your habit your, your daily habits, then it, it kind of like throws you out there. And, it, and having worked in the ER and having been in a war and uh, being a medic, uh, I've been involved with lots of these these things that suddenly happen that breach your, your reality, that breach uh, your everyday life and, and mess it all up. And then you start, you start seeing that there's a lot more to life that you don't have time for or that you're not going to think about until until it happens and that's why I like to bring up uh, the you know the philosopher uh, Socrates or Plato I'm not sure who said we, we should be spending our whole life preparing for death or, or something like that meaning that we're not going to be alive forever and, and of course being involved in the moment where things are happening is, is important too and I've talked about that with the uh, with the Tao and, and being in, and not too too uh, set on the future or the past because they're not really ever here you're, you're in the present tense. But, but time's a strange thing. You know, we have, Einstein tells us that. Tribal reality tells us that. Tribal reality, uh, Hopi, Zuni, Dene, when you're in these ceremonies, you have a different sort of time going on. And they've been doing this stuff for thousands of years. And then we came along, you know, the, the Spanish came along in the 1530s when they came here into the Southwest and they did all kinds of Things they thought they were justified, you know, to do in the name of their religion. And you've, you've all heard the song by the Eagles, "The Last Resort." Should we? You want to? You want to play that, Murky? Have you ever listened to the words of "The Last Resort"? I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of part of my generation when I was growing up, so I thought everybody's heard it, but apparently Murky hadn't heard it before. Is that right? Right. Let's let's play "The Last Resort." Um, that kind of talks about. Uh, in an interesting way about what's happened to uh, that line called place paradise kiss it goodbye because we, we just do we have this sort of terminally ill cancer in our cities and the way our culture is progressing it's just this kind of chaos the Hopi's call it Koyana uh, Scotsi chaos world uh, we're just we deem that as everyday life we don't really think about where things are going so you can get too set in the present tense and not see that you're, you know, that the end of the highway, the end of this path is going to go off the edge of a cliff. And, uh, and so the indigenous people had to face these invasions of these people from the, the Spanish came here, I think, 1520s to uh, Veracruz. Uh, that's where Cortez first came. And then all the things that came with them. And then later the colonial people came, the pilgrims and the Puritans. And brought this whole way of life that was new and, and sort of like, I hate to say this, in some ways bastardized. You know, it was just this life that was part of somewhere else and brought it here to these cultures been living here thousands of years. 
and and we brought our time with us. We brought our our controlling uh, things, uh, and so okay, I, I better shut up. <laughs> so crazy. Um, all right, let's play that. Let's let's play that song. Listen to the words. Uh, you probably heard it. I mean, it's 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 a it's a popular song, but I think uh, I think it gets a point across of where we're all at, and we're starting to see that because. We're, we're so, this is, like I said, a habitual life that's been going on since 1776. In fact, I, I don't even think it compares to then, because at least you had a chance to get your own land and have your own house, and and now that that's that's getting rarer and rarer, because it's owned by, things are owned by corporations and by banks, and we push this, this freedom thing to the point that we don't really even have freedom anymore, because the person that owns it is the person that head of the corporation, your boss, uh, money, uh, and a lot of us, it's really hard to own a house. I mean, where I live here, houses are, I think when I first moved here, you could get a house for $190,000, a two-bedroom two house. Those are half a million or a million dollars now. In fact, some of them are $2 million. So it's it's just getting, uh, and, and then you're in debt your whole life, and you're trying to work through this, and by the time you're out of debt, it's it's time for a small vacation in the big, long RV, and then it's off to the nursing home. And then your kids sell the house that you owned, and they divide up the money, and they go through the whole process of getting getting their house and getting in debt. And most people are not doing that well. So, so yeah, well, what do we have left? Um, what started out it seemed like a really good idea, and I think you know, I think America was a cool idea. I think it's something that was needed to some degree, but you know, we we committed genocide. We took away. Uh, we took away. A life that had been going thousands of years. It had been, uh, you know, through trial and error, we've, they figured out what you need to do with the forest and with the animals and how you need to live in, in, in more or less harmony with the earth. And we're so obsessed with artificiality and building a world in the name of humans. And, but really, it's insane. If you live in a city, most, of course, the little town I grew up uh, on the edge of the Great Basin, uh, Great Salt Lake Desert, uh, where there, all this it was sort of a repairing area, all these springs and a river was, and, before, and after that, then you just get this stark Great Salt Lake Desert. But if you grew up there in this little farming community, it's still it's actually smaller than it was when I grew up, because the form, the farms are all owned by corporations now, and people went out of business, and there's a few large farms. Uh, that's the only way you can survive. But most of those places are are vacant now. So there are places where it's not growing. But in general, if you live in a city, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It just keeps growing and growing, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. And, and you have real estate people coming in, and they're buying it up, and, and prices keep going up. And there's people like you and me that have to work a job and have to pay our bills, and it just seems insane. I mean, are you in debt? I mean, this is the first time in my life I haven't. I'm out of debt. I don't have any loans I'm paying for. I own most everything I have, not including my house because I don't own that. But uh, I'm actually renting a place, um, and have done for a long time. Uh, I'm, close friends with my landlord. He's a really cool guy. Uh, Flagstaff is an impossible place to live. I have friends paying two and $3,000 a month for rent. A one-bedroom home here in Flagstaff, probably no big deal. If you live in Los Angeles or Phoenix, and you know what I'm talking about, or, or San Francisco or back east, you know uh, a one-bedroom place can be now $1,000, $1,500. And, and so you have a friend who pays $4,000 a month. Listen, $4,000 a month for his big, huge home. He'll never own it. And then he just buys more. I mean, this guy works in, works in real estate. He's, and I asked him, well, how much do you, and he doesn't really, he, 
he doesn't have actually uh, assets that he owns. He just deals in loans and, and, and uh, credit and selling land and this turnaround and something. And he just got prostate cancer. He's a young guy. And suddenly he's like, God, I might die. And, and, and he's like, I'm really in debt. I mean, basically, I mean, there's, there, there, there are people out of debt. They're doing okay. Uh, but there's a lot that aren't. And I, you get this rich aristocracy, this 3 or 4% that, that really are living the life, I, I guess. And, uh, and I, I don't even know if they're living the life. They think they are. Uh, and this, you know... You're getting in the lecture mode. Oh, right. Right. Mur murky... Murky's saying, what's that, Murky? We already know this stuff. Yeah, this is just boring stuff. You don't want to listen to this. Uh, you know you know what I'm talking about. And 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 it's just gonna you're just gonna turn off turn off the broadcast or your radio or the podcast because you don't want to hear this. And you can get on the AM radio now. There's just these networks. All they do is talk about what I what I'm talking about to you right now. And it's just it, you don't want to hear that. You wanna you wanna watch a nice movie or have something that takes you out of the habitual life. And that's what I'm talking about. And I think in between stations is about that is, you know, getting out of this place that you're in and going out there into the unexplored universe. And this is what tribes do so well. They, they, they have struggles, but they, these ceremonies are meant to break up the, uh, the daily habitual reality and to wake you up to the, to the deeper essence of your life. You know, you're, you're going to die. You're going to have an accident. Something's going to like, uh, is going to mess up your uh, your so-called control that you that you have. You know, we work for this control factor. I'm not saying you shouldn't have control, but uh, what is it that Lenin said? The, the famous quote: "Life's the thing that happens while we're making plans." So there's all these plans and there's these goals you have, and there's these things that come up that uh, you, you weren't prepared for, and and sometimes those are really good things because it can pull you out of this 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 kind of rut you're in. You don't even know it's a rut. You just get up and you do it. And you you kind of have to do that just to survive, to get to get bills paid. And I've got myself in plenty of ruts even though I'm always getting somehow back on the edge of things. And that's what I'm hoping these broadcasts will help you do. And I know my son, my younger son that's 18, going on 19 now. His generation is really not interested in our this what we've been doing all these years. They see it as this kind of endpoint. It's just not working for them. Uh, their 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 parents are in debt. Their parents are are working two and three jobs, and it just it's not working for them. And I know that, and so a lot of my uh, these younger friends my son has, and then, you know I, I have friends and they have kids that are my, my son's age and the, these these younger people are not interested in what we used to call the American dream they just don't want to they, they want to go out and do something different and you know you only have the short time really when you look at it to be alive and how much of it is spent in really enjoying and really connecting to to something that's a little deeper than uh, the short-term views that we often have about things can you hear the train I'm being ready. <laughs> I always say that, huh? Do you, do you hear the cuckoo clock? Do you hear the train? That's <laughs> oh, part of our show, right, Murky? Yeah. So, 
I think what originally was the American dream that was possible, you know, when you come to this nation without, you know, putting aside what we, the, the, the genocide and the millions of indigenous people that died at the cost of what we thought was our, the new land. Uh, there's some people that lived in harmony with those, with, with the indigenous people, but <clears throat> as a whole, it was kind of a disaster. But putting aside all that stuff, uh, it was a good idea, kind of. But it's just got out of hand now. I, I mean, we're, we're so far far removed from the people in 1776 and 1820. We're just, I mean, I, and I know uh, Henry David Thoreau and Walden Pond uh, talks about, you know, people being indentured servants, people working a land that doesn't belong to them. So people were doing this early on, you know, you get the landowner and then he hires people to, to they're basically slaves to, to plow the land and to uh, take care of it, but they don't own it. So I, I guess this has been a part of our way of life for a long time, but to indigenous people, that was kind of not largely the case. Uh, and it, it's it's like, I don't, Dave, I thought we were going to play the song "The Last Resort." Oh, we we needed okay, yeah, you're you're, yeah, you're right. And so this is just boring. And I mean, it's not boring. You just, you you're listening to the show because we want to go somewhere else. So, oh, yeah, let's. let's Let's change directions and we're going to play a song here.
to do Some rich men came and raped the land Nobody caught him Put up a bunch of ugly boxes And Jesus' people bought him They called it paradise The place to be
So, um, getting through all that <laughs> and getting to this, you, you have to build up to. I, sometimes I don't like to just start in the middle of nowhere and come out with the mysterious and weird. Let you know where you're at, and then let you know uh, the possibilities that are outside of that. That you can open up, and, and you and that you can maybe even walk away from some things and change. And and actually, accidents and disasters sometimes. I mean, I think in the back of our mind, uh, we hope for the really bad storm. We hope for the disaster, not because we want the tornado to come through and kill everybody, but because it's it's going to shake us up. It's gonna it's gonna get it's gonna open up the possibilities of something else. And so the apocalypse, the, you know, we talk about Armageddon. Uh, whoa, something's got to break the machine. You know, we we've got to get on with. You know, like when you're over there in England, you know, we've got to get past this industrial age. We've got to pass all these this wealthy upper class owning everything, and we're indentured to them. So, hey, let's go to America and let's be free. So where are we now in 2023? I think where we're at is we need to, something needs to change. But do we have the power? Hey, big boy, I think it's time to move forward now. I'm sorry, Murky. Yeah, do we have the power? Okay, just let me finish this. <laughs> Do we have the power to do that? Can we really change things? You know, like when Trump marched to the White House or was it the White House? I don't know if I agree with that, but it was interesting because somebody, somebody, at least it appeared to be, that was going to make a difference or, or try to break it up, uh, though it didn't work out, did it? And that's the point I'm making here is can we, can we do it? Or have we arrived at a time where computers and technology, uh, the, the scientist is owned? So it designs things for the corporation. Those things are owned, and you can't get out of it. It's just set up in such a way that you think it's impossible. And I think that's the problem. When you start thinking it's impossible, then, and, and like my son said, he's just not even concerned with, with uh, a lot of my ideals or those older ideals of America. He's going to go into the forest. He's going to walk. He's, he's a hard worker. He's going to get a job. But that's that's towards going and enjoying your life and and opening yourself up to to a deeper realm of experience, and then in some ways going back to the indigenous ethic of, of where you're exploring the land, where the land's sacred. Okay, I'm going to start this out. This is I I think this is kind of interesting. Uh, I'll try to tell it in, in, in a way, and so it's just off the top of my head because this is an actual experience, and I can't really figure out what happened. And we we live in a very strange world and I'm sorry to tell you this we, we and we cover that up we want to think that everything is set and it's controlled and you know that Newtonian thing 2 plus 2 is 4 and then when you start dealing with quantum things get kind of messed up they don't work the way um, they're supposed to at least in the in the mind that looks at it linear in the Newtonian way because underneath the surface atoms and protons that's not it's 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 kind of a crazy world there so anyway, I don't know. So uh, I, I, I'm going to work. I, I, I work at a museum. And, uh, and I go to work one day, early in the morning. And we have uh, three storage sheds. They're kind of cool because this is a museum. They're old log cabins that the Forest Service built. At least one of them is for sure. And two of them are. They're, just, they're, they're kind of these cute little house, one-bedroom houses that were built in the forest. And we use them for storage. And it looks cool. When you go drive the museum, you can see them. And it fits in with the decor of our uh, southwestern style. We have this really famous museum, Flagstaff's first museum. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Museum of Northern Arizona. It's, it's, 
it's really a marvelous place and, and the founders are cool people and it's connected to indigenous cultures and indigenous people work there and uh, it's 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 awesome it's it's a different kind of museum because it's largely uh indigenous culture with a little bit of science combined there so I'm, I'm, I, I go to work early because, you know, I, I, I help. I'm the everything guy. If, if there's something to be done and there's nobody there, then I do it, whatever it is. <laughs> From cleaning up things to hanging paintings to even hanging my own paintings because I'm, I'm an artist. So I, I get to work one day and there's the three cabins there because I park by them. It's right by the larger museum. These three beautiful old log cabins built in the 1920s. By, they're, they're, these are actually worth quite a bit now they were built well and built by where they're still remembering how to build a log cabin and they look cool and just just the cabin itself uh you could sell it for 50 60 sometimes even a hundred thousand because they're considered antiques they and, and you could make a little one bedroom house out of it. those are even kind of expensive now people that can't afford a big house can buy a little house that's as large as your bathroom <laughs> anyway these are bigger than that they're a one-bedroom sort of log cabin. And if you've been in the forest here in the southwest or the western United States, you know what I'm talking about. There's still some of these Grand Canyon has them, these these old, beautiful cabins that were built for guests, and you and you could stay there. You could hike back 20 miles into the Uinta Mountains, which is uh, on the border of Wyoming and Utah, these tall, uh, um, almost temperate rainforests in the summer. It rains there constantly, just beautiful. You hike back 10 miles, and there's a cabin there. And, and the Forest Service built these so you can stay there. The scouts, I don't even know if they have Boy Scouts anymore. But you could stay there in this little cabin. Two or three of you could camp there. And, and sometimes they even had supplies in there. And they had these in Alaska and wilderness areas. And I don't, I don't, I don't do they still build them? I don't know. Anyway, they're really cool, uh, and, they're, and they're useful, and there's still some of them up there. And if you've ever stayed one, and I've stayed in many of them, uh, not lately, but used to, as a scout and a young man with my stepdad and with other friends that would hike back, uh, you know, we'd spend all day hiking and then they're underneath neath the big, huge conifer trees, these big pine trees. It's this beautiful little cabin you stay in there. So we had three of those from the early part of the 20th century. And people had even offered to buy them and, and donate money to the museum. But we wouldn't sell them. So I, I got to work, and uh, I pulled my, my truck up, and or car. I don't know what I have. Truck, car, combination. <laughs> I don't know what I had then either. There, there was a time where, as I point out in my broadcast, where I didn't have a car at all. For three and a half years, I used my feet to go everywhere. I think that one year I ran over 4,000 miles. So I went to the grocery store. I got it with my backpack. I get all my groceries. I didn't even have a bike, and so that was that was an interesting time in my life. And I've talked about that in previous uh, broadcasts. If you want to tune into that, and it kind of changed my life and uh, and proved to me that you can you can do things differently, and your body can. Uh, our evolutionary history as human beings, we have the we have the capacity to survive with our feet and our hands. We don't need the technology sometimes that we feel like that we've been convinced by commercial and corporation that we need. You can, uh, you can still run a lot of miles. You can still use your hands. You can still, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger says, oh, it's just a set of weights. Hey, you, you, can get, you can do whatever you want to do with it, but this is a set of barbells, and you, 
you choose the way you work out with it. And, and it doesn't need to be expensive. It doesn't need to be all these drugs and everything else involved. It's a set of weights. Use it with a little bit of wisdom or don't use it with wisdom. So I, I, I pull my truck up, uh, car. <laughs> it doesn't matter, Mercury, right? Right. Motorcycle? No, I don't have one of those. And uh, one of the one of the cabins is gone. One of these storage cabins are gone. It's not there. There's only two. And I'm like, oh, the museum. This is at a time where when the museum was having a hard time. This is just before COVID when uh, we were just barely making it. It's hard to run a museum these days because it's donors and grants and and we have a indigenous artifacts and things like that and it's really hard to it's a non-profit um, sometimes you just can't make it and we're having we're really struggling with the director we had then and I thought that because she'd done this before she's not there anymore we have a really cool um, director of the museum she's a wonderful person but before that we were strapped out and so they were selling a lot of things in the museum that shouldn't have been sold I mean these are rare artifacts even these cabins are kind of rare because they were built a special way but we had to things had to be sold to, to to get money to pay the employees and to keep the museum going. It's just you know it's one of those things. It's part of our our uh, everyday life now. Struggling to make it, even if you're uh, established, like this museum is quite old and quite famous. So I thought, well, they sold they sold one of the cabins because they're worth quite a bit, and I was kind of mad. Because I, they're they're beautiful. I like them. They're part of the museum. They've been part of the museum since its founding, almost. So I went into work, you know, put my pass card there, opened the door up, and went in and got ready. And then one of uh, one of the, my fellow employees that was there a little earlier than me, I said, "Hey, what happened to the cabin outside?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know. I, they're still there." And I said, "No, one one's missing." And he's like, "Really?" So he went out, he opened the door and went outside and looked because they're right by the entrance we went in. And then he didn't say anything. He's like, oh, I think everything's okay. I said, well, something's missing. So I, I, I was going to cause a big stink because I was like, you know, well, let's not be selling stuff that's really rare. It's ridiculous. And, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not big in the organization. I'm one of the lower people in the totem pole for, for, for a good reason. I don't like to be involved in politics. I had enough of that in the military and being in a war, working in a hospital. I didn't. I don't enjoy. It's a lot of responsibility when you're in the political end of a organization. So I purposely took a, a job where I didn't have to be part of that. But people did listen to what I had to say. I mean, I have. I'm, I'm educated in archaeology. I have an education in indigenous cultures. I spend a lot of time there and have a lot of friends, and so they're connected to the museum. And so people will listen to what I have to say. Maybe. So I then uh, I stormed upstairs, and the, he was, <laughs> you shouldn't do it. And I, where, where the heads of the museum are, there's a couple up there. And I said, hey, Dave, good morning. I said, hey, good morning. I said, what happened to the cabin out there? Did we move it, or did we sell it? And they're like, uh, I don't think so. We, so um, one of the uh, people that were on the board, he's a friend of mine, he said, well, let's go down and look. Let's see what happened, Dave. He's just a really nice guy. He didn't have to listen to me. I'm just a lower employee, but we were good friends. And that's how the museum works. And so uh, we went down, back down the stairs and outside. Still, it's not even 8 o'clock yet. These people were there early. 
and we walked over to the cabins and uh, we're standing there and he's just he's being real nice and polite and he said so what's going on here I said well the middle cabin's missing do you know where it's at and he's like uh, looks okay to me and I said well um, it, it, I said it's gone he said, you mean there, there's another cabin here? I said, well, there's three of them, and this one, the middle one's missing. Number five's missing. And then he says to me, and he, he hadn't been there as long as I had because he was a new board member. He's like, well, Dave, it's, it's, we've only had two. And I said, no, we, we've always had three in the middle cabin, number five. I, I, I put storage in there once a week. I've been doing it for four or five years you know I move boxes and different things out of the museum and we move them over to these little cabins and number five is one where we put uh, boxes and uh, different sorts of apparatuses in the museum and then we put it in there stack it up on the shelves and we lock the door and I said you know I, I go in there once a week almost and he looks <laughs> he looks at me like he's like oh he said Dave you're he said, you're probably getting mixed up. He said, we use we used number four, and then we use the, you know, there's there's never been a cabin here as far as I know. But he said, maybe maybe there was. I'll, I'll ask around. So he, he, he called up one of the administrators uh, that had been there a long time, like 35 years. And, and then and one of our, we have several people. And they said, well, we've never had a, we've, all, we've only, as far as I know, we've only had, Two storage cabins out by the museum there. That's, we've always, that's all. And so I, I'm thinking, and then I'm thinking, you know, uh, maybe somebody's playing a joke on me because we you know we play jokes on each other a lot. And, and I'm like, maybe they did take it out and they knew I'd be upset about it. And, and so they didn't want to tell me. I, I don't know. And, and so anyway, my friend says, you know, uh, the administrator called him back and said, uh, he said, well, Dave, as far as we know, there's never, there's only been two cabins there, two little cabins. And I, and I sort of kind of laughed. I said, oh, so what's the joke? And he's like, well, it's not a joke. He said, there's only been two there, as, as far as we know. But I'll look into it. You want to you go to a song, Murky? Okay, we're going to go to a song.
Wow, I I uh, I didn't expect that one, Murky. Um, uh, I guess thanks. Um, that was a part of a soundtrack I wrote for a, a little film I've yet to release on my uh, my girlfriend Tiva, who passed away uh, a year in this October. Um, the visual that goes with it makes it quite powerful. Um, uh, and, and you know the whole mystery of someone dying that you love and where did they go and how why, how is it that you can still feel them uh, and we're going to this whole thing of, of parallel universes of alternate realities of of a, of a broader and more comprehensive of a deeper reality that, that moves beyond our what I call it the five the nine to five reality that we work in that we we're so familiar with and yet that that keeps us away from the the deeper reaches of the universe. Often, there, you know, there's just too much out there, and surely death lets us know about that. Or when you're close, to, someone's close to dying, or there's been a serious injury. And so, uh, I, you know, and I, I write a lot of things. Uh, I'm not sure how good that was, but it has a lot of personal meaning to me. Uh, and sometimes it's easier to make sounds than it is to talk about things. And I, and and. The um, the passing of my girlfriend Tiva was has been ext- uh, extremely difficult for me, and uh, so uh, yeah, the, the the alternate realities. Where are we going after this life's over? And so everyone is everyone is like um, coming to an end at some point, at least in this this form, in this reality. And and where do we go? What happens to us? Is that the end? I really don't think so. So uh, let's let's move on to uh, the museum story, which is quite interesting. Uh, and uh, let's 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 move back into the the, the missing the uh, missing cabin. <laughs> All right, let's let's move into that. The strange world we live in. I'm I'm trying to tell the story. <laughs> it's live, so I hope it comes out okay. Um, sometimes when I listen to these broadcasts or episodes later, I'm like, geez, where was I at? But anyway, um, oh, the, the head maintenance person wasn't there. And he actually, uh, at, at an earlier time, had been my landlord. And this guy had worked there almost longer than anybody else. And he really knew the history of the museum. So they said, uh, well, his, his name's Sot. That's who we call him. So we'll, we'll talk to Sot and see what he has to say. Uh, about this. So this is where it starts getting really strange. Because, you know, I, I went home that night. It, it was kind of, this is, there's a delay here. I went home that night, and I'm like, it's, they, they got to be playing a joke on me. Maybe I should just go along with it. But I can, re- I, had, I, I remember going there once a week, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a week, I'd put stuff in there. I'd unlock the door, I had the key, and I'd move stuff into number five. And sometimes I moved them into number four, and then the, the other cabinet didn't have a number on it. I would there wasn't too much in there at that time. So I used number four and especially number five a lot. And I was in there and I can remember what it looked like. And so I'm, I'm thinking, what's going on here? You know, because I can remember all this. And I said, it's got to be a joke. And I, and I think one of my friends actually called me on my phone. And we, we talked about this. He, he worked at the museum too. Or she, she worked at the museum too. And, and she's like, well, and she thought it was all funny. But she's like, and she kind of thought I was messing around with her because she said well I Dave there's only been two there and I've worked at the museum for 10 years there's only two cabins storage cabins out there these old cabins I'm just like and so we just you know I just played along with her and I hung up the phone or you know it's a cell phone pushed the button and hung up after we talked 
So I'm just, I'm wondering about this. And, and, and in my bed as I'm laying there, you know, I can't sleep. And I'm wondering, wondering, what's, what the hell's going on here? And, and so the next day I, I'm at work. No, no, actually it was two weeks later. We find, finally, this, uh, this the head maintenance guy, Sot, got back. And, and uh, with, with my friend uh, that I'd been talking to that was on the board. And uh, here goes another train. <laughs> Continue on with my story, Murphy? Yes, all right. Well, you need to stop reading your. <laughs> so, um, so my 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 friend, the board, you know, it's early in the morning again. He's like, "Well, Dave, uh, uh, Sot, lead maintenance guy, called us back, and um, <clears throat> he said, yes, there used to be a cabin there. Indeed, it used to be uh, have number five. It was number five cabin. I'm like, really? He's like, so so." I was like, so what's the joke? He's like, there's no joke. So he said, we actually found a picture of it. He said, it hasn't been there since 1968. Now, folks, in 1960, <laughs> you know, I was a little kid. So I wasn't there. And, and, and so the picture, the photo was, was of the three little cabins with, not with, and you can see the number, it was number five. There it was. And, um, it had been there with the museum until 1968, and then they they had indeed sold it. They, I guess, it had some problems, maintenance problems, and they decided to let go of it. And so, there's always there's always been a space there where the where the middle one was missing. And I'm just I'm dumbfounded because I have all these solid, legitimate memories of going in that 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 cabin, and it's not it. How how can I explain? So, you know, it's obvious it's not a joke, and I'm trying to rationalize myself. This is the next night. <laughs> I'm a bit rationalize. Where did all these memories come from of being there? Did, did I somehow, did I dream of it? You know, because I have pretty powerful dreams, and, and replace that with uh, thinking the dream was an actual memory. Is that what's in my long-term memory? Of, it wasn't that long-term. It was actually pretty short-term. Why did I feel like the cabin I came to work one day, and suddenly it's missing? And, and I, what's going on here? Do I have false memory here or something? But I, though these are, I have a lot of legitimate memories of going in there. So, so what? What? What the hell? I, <laughs> no, I hadn't been drinking or doing drugs, Murky. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So. How did I have all these memories, and how had I been putting stuff and unlocking the door in number five? How did I even know the number? I mean, maybe my mind jumped ahead and remembered, oh, there's four there, so maybe the next one was five, and the end cabin didn't have a number. So what, what, what happened there? Uh, let me, uh, uh, this is, this is kind of, I'm going to play a short piece of a Joe Rogan episode uh, that's, that's uh, real interesting here. Uh, is it Paul Stimos? I always say his name wrong. The, the, the mushroom guy, everybody loves. My son just idolizes this guy. Uh, he gives this really interesting uh, story that may sort of explain my experience. Uh, although I don't think it's connected to dreams. So let's... Okay, Mark, are you going to play that? Okay, let's go ahead and play that.
But if you look at the multiverse, and I've had a, a I've had a one or two in particular uh, multiverse experiences where time and reality has changed in a way that I cannot explain. It's so. so? What do you mean? It's so incredibly profound that I still cannot wrap my mind around it. And um, these are psilocybin experiences. Psilocybin experience. So, I think the psilocybin experience might be one portal. And now I'm going to sound like Terence McKenna um, of entering into to the multiverse. The idea that uh, time uh, can be bent, uh, that there are multiple universes occurring simultaneously in different realities. And I've had one experience in particular that is just unfathomable to me. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Um, it's give it a shot. Okay, I'll give it a shot. And You've already blown my mind this apart is, this 150 is, times today. <laughs> this is a very deeply personal experience to me, but um, I was... Um, I was going to, uh, to the Evergreen State College. I had the Drug Enforcement Administration license. My brother John went to Yale uh, University. Um, he got a graduate uh, scholarship in neurophysiology at the University of Washington. He came out to Washington State in Seattle. I was living in Olympia, Washington. Um, I had a cabin uh, up in the mountains near Darrington, Washington. Uh, then the summertime for three years, I set chokers. I was a logger. I really believe in the school of hard knocks and the blending of academia with, with blue-collar hard work. I love chopping wood. I love running a chainsaw. I love hard labor. I think. It gives my mind some respite to be able to think. So I'm in this highly academic environment. My brother John, is, uh, he died unfortunately two years ago. He's, so he got me involved in mushrooms. Uh, so I'm going to segue and set the stage here, but I need another two minutes to set the stage here. So. I'm growing up in a small town in Ohio called Columbiana. My brother John goes to, is going to Yale. He comes back one, one day, and he gives me a book that he's using for his class, but he's on break, and he says, and I'm really fascinated. Now, John went to Mexico, Columbia, came back with great stories of eating psilocybin mushrooms, and he's my older brother. I just idolized him. And he has a book called Altered States of Consciousness. And so I said, John, can I borrow your book? He said, sure. And I said, but Paul, I need it back. You know, after my break is over, I'm going back to college. This is part of our textbook. So I borrowed his book, Alter States of Consciousness, and I'm just fascinated reading it, you know, about all these different ways of expanding your consciousness. I'm 14 years of age. And so my best friend, Ryan Snyder, says, Paul, can I borrow your book? We're hanging together all the time. And he, I go, yeah, but I need it back. And so he borrows my book, and he doesn't return it. A day, you know, several days pass, a week pass, you know, two weeks pass, my brother's coming back on break. I, he said, I needed that book back, uh, uh, back, Paul. And I go to Ryan. I go, Ryan, I need my book. I need my book. And Ryan just kept on avoiding the, answering the subject. And so I said, finally, give me my book. And Ryan goes, I can't give it to you, Paul. I said, why? He says, my dad burned it. I said, your dad burned my brother's book? I go, WTF. I didn't use this phrase back then. I said, oh, my God. And I have a shout out to Ryan Snyder's father uh, that... Because of that event, it stimulated my interest in alter states of consciousness even more. So that you know, so John goes to Yale and goes to the University of Washington. I have this uh, DEA permit. I'm at the Evergreen State College. John calls me up. And he says, "Paul, I think I found some psilocybin mushrooms." Now, uh, John said, "You're really smart. You've been collecting psilocybin cubensis in Colombia and Mexico, but you know this, they're much more complicated up here." And I said, "Let me ask you a few questions." 
I said, okay, John, can you take a spore print? And he goes, yes. And I go, is the spores purple brown? He goes, yes, they are purple brown. I go, good. Okay. Now, John, does it have a separable gelatinous pellicle? And he goes, what's that? And I go, well, break the cap. These are growing on wood chips. Great, break the cap and, and separate the cap very slowly. Do you see a, a little skin that's translucent? And he breaks it and he goes, yeah, I see that skin. I said, John, they're growing on wood chips. And he goes, yes. I go, are they turning bluish? He goes, yes, they're standing really bright blue. I go, wow. I said, John, how many did you find? He goes, you would not believe it. <laughs> it's a huge amount. I said, wait. I said, but he says, Paul, they're in a very sensitive place. You better come up here right away. So I jumped in my car and I drove up from Olympia to Seattle, about 60, 70 miles. I get to his house and, I, and John's there and, and I go, well, where are we going? He goes, well, we need some grocery bags, you know, and uh, let's get on our bikes and let's go down there. I go, well, why all the secrecy? And the, and, and, and the problem is, well, you'll see. And it was the end of Boat Street. And right at the University of Washington, right off of University Avenue, there's Boat Street. And we get there, and right across the street is a police substation. <laughs> so we're there, and it was an eruption of this mushroom. There had to be 10,000, 30,000 mushrooms, I don't know. It was about 50 feet by 30 feet, but they all been mulched with wood chips. There was an eruption that picked up you know, trash and you know, debris that picked up six inches with solid mushrooms. There are mushrooms everywhere. I've to this day never seen so many mushrooms in one concentrated area. So we waited until the police cars went away and we're kind of idling there and then the police cars would go away and from the substation we'd start picking mushrooms, picking mushrooms and we'd fill up a you know, grocery bag, uh, bag or two and, and then the other students are walking by, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, you know, and then we eventually go, yeah, there's plenty for everybody, you know, so and so. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like pretty soon everyone's all hanging out as a little group like a, at the bus stop, right? We're not really waiting for the bus, right? We're right. waiting for the police cars to go away right. and then and we picked all these mushrooms, and so we got about you know, eight or ten grocery bags full of these mushrooms. How and bizarre! It turned out to be a new species called Salicybe stuncii, named after Daniel. A new species. A new species. Uh, new as in hadn't been discovered before. Had you never guys been described in them? the scientific literature before. So you picked a mushroom that no one knew existed before. Well, we, or there hadn't was, been hadn't been described scientifically. We had known about it for about three years, but this is the largest eruption, and from that collection became part of what uh, of the type collection that anchored the species taxonomically. So I think some of the specimens still exist in herbaria around the world because it's the reference standard. So. We go back to the house, and it's like, we got to dry them. So we lay out newspapers, and the whole, the whole uh, newspapers were just covered with mushrooms. And, um, and so that night, you know, we just, about four guys from Yale, all neurophysiology, all scientists, you know, on the scientist track, and you know, let's, let's eat them. And so, I mean, this is not very potent. Um, they're one-tenth the potency of cubensis, so we made smoothies. <laughs> And uh, oh my gosh, Ugh. talk about the gag reflex. So we had to make these smoothies. We had, we had to eat 50 of them in order to have a, a dose equivalent, equivalent to what Slosby Cubensis would be. So I knew that. So we made these incredibly uh, distasteful milkshakes and, uh, and we chugged them and we drank them. And, um, and then uh, amazing experience. I bonded with my brother. It was beautiful. And, and then you're peeking at this experience. You look around and there's like tens of thousands of these mushrooms. Like, oh my gosh. Um, all for science. Um, and so I go to bed and, um, and I'm laying in bed and, and you know, full blown experience. And, 
you know, can barely sleep because all the colors are, are keeping me awake and my mind is racing. And then I have a lucid dream. And I'm dreaming and I wake up and I go downstairs and I go, I had this crazy dream. I said, and what's your dream? And I said, uh, I saw thousands of cattle dead, baking in the sun. I said, I think there's going to be a nuclear war. Uh, but what could kill all these cattle? You know, there's a time of the, the Reagan administration and, and, and all that. And, you know, the, 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 the tension was really high between the Soviet Union and the United States. And uh, they said, and they were joking with me, saying, oh, well, okay, you know, when is it going to happen? I go, I know I was in Olympia, and I needed to rush up to Darrington to stay in my cabin because my books were up there and my manuscript was up there. I need to save, save my research. So they laughed, and they laughed, and they said, well, when's the world going to end, Paul? And I go, well, it's not this weekend. That was like in two days. It's next weekend. So they wrote on the calendar, December 1st. I put it in my book. I think it's 1975 the end of the world. They wrote, Paul predicts the end of the world. So we forgot about it. Massive rains the next week. Huge amounts of snowfall. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, temperature inversion, and it flipped to 75 to 85 degrees. All the snow started to melt. All the rivers were flooding. And my little cabin was right next to this river that would swell from day to uh, from morning to night it, it would go up six feet just from the snow melt because we're very close to this volcano and big glaciers. I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my manuscript, all my research. I need to get up there. I need to get up there. And so I'm watching the news on the news and the roads are being closed. So I had to go through Rockport, Washington, the back way in order to get back to my cabin. I get to my cabin uh, and the bank had eroded about 10 feet. I was only about 10, 12 feet away from the, from the river now. My cabin was on the verge of falling into it, but I got my manuscript. I got all my books. You know, I rescued all the material I had, but I couldn't get out of there because the roads have been closed. And so I had to wait, wait two days, two days, and the roads then uh, opened up, and I drove out, out of the valley into the Snohomish Valley, and I went around the bend, and there, the sun, it was a brilliant sunny day, a warm day, and there floating in the fields were hundreds and hundreds of dead cattle. Whoa. How do you explain that? I entered, I think, into the multiverse. Whoa! Now, as a scientist, you realize when you say something like that, you open yourself up to ridicule. Do you feel uh, hesitant to communicate these well, ideas? Well, in, to a degree, yes. But, you know, I'm 62 years of age, and, you know, at one point, uh, I just great. don't care. I just don't care, you know. Um, this is true. This happened to me. And um, I can push the envelope on these ideas because the credibility of my research is well-established. I can save the bees. Do you care whether I uh, have taken psilocybin mushrooms, if I can save your farm, your family, your country, or the world billions of dollars and protect biosecurity? I care more. I, I care more. That's right. Yeah. So I'm telling you things. I'm not making these up. I'm making no, this I don't up. think I don't, you are. I don't have to. I just um, wonder. But, but just because you can't explain it does not mean it's not true. Right. And I think that we need to accept the fact that the reality is not limited to the perception that we have traditionally used. So yeah, that that's. I think that's kind of my my. Uh, and I've had a couple of shows on on the multiverse, uh, different reality side by side, parallel worlds. And uh, I've, I've talked about this in terms of my ayahuasca experiences, uh, in terms of this, this, this uh, mystical figure called Sarah that's been this kind of twin that's been with me since I've been uh, a little boy. Uh, 
uh, and um, you know, going into these alternate realities, especially strong in the ayahuasca experiences and the uh, the death experiences that I've uh, been acquainted with. Uh, those are in, in previous episodes, uh, but beyond that, beyond beyond the you know, you might consider pure speculation. Of course, if you haven't experienced these these powerful plant medicines or had some other kind of experience that's open these realities to you, then you might think it's kind of a joke. And I always say, well, you know, don't criticize unless you've had it. And these are profound and powerful, powerful experiences. And there's the whole set of mystical experiences uh, and, you know, people that are deemed holy and people that are deemed uh, mystical. Uh, you know, you can laugh all you want and you can criticize and try to be rational, objective. And here's my thing. Uh, let me let me give you uh, a nice cup of ayahuasca and then after the six or seven hours that you experience that then you come back and talk to me and, and tell me what happened and let's see just how rational you are and how your one-dimensional reality has suddenly been uh, shattered so beyond that though beyond that it there is a rational uh, there is a rational uh, approach to these alternate realities and this is a legitimate uh, quantum theory started by Hugh Everett the uh, the third and I've talked about Hugh Everett and uh, the multi world view and now it's it's gained a substantial reputation and how uh, Niels Bohr's uh, the, the father kind of uh, quantum physics one of them uh, rejected this uh, this uh, multi world theory uh, when when uh, when Hugh Everett was a young boy he was a genius he took this this multi-world multiverse theory and actually met with uh, Neil Neil Bohr's, who who was you know the most famous physicist in the world. He went to Copenhagen for God's sakes. I mean, there's a whole Copenhagen baseline to quantum physics, and he challenged the entire thing and said, "Hey, here's the multiverse. I think you're wrong. You don't tell." <laughs> when you're 21 or 22. I don't know his exact name. You don't tell the world's most famous. Uh, um, quantum physicist that that he's wrong, and so he just basically told uh, Hugh uh, Everett, "Hey, just just get out, I, you know." You, and 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 so it, it just is this disaster, uh, and, and and he dropped. I don't even think he even finished his PhD, and it's taken all these years for for us to finally realize, hey, this guy was legit. This guy had a powerful theory, and yeah, it looks like Neil Bohr's could have been completely wrong about his side of things. And so I think there's 13 different ways to look at the quantum world. And now multiverse of all these movies, I haven't seen the Doctor Strange, the Marvel character movie with the multiverse, but multiverse is becoming, in fact, the point is it's kind of irritating. It's like in every movie now. And the new Flash movie, I think it just ruined the, the movie. The new, the, the DC character, the Flash, this guy that runs, uh, can run past the speed of light, the superhero. So it's 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 part of everything. It's part of our thinking now. Now listen in the in the, in the native view, the the tribal reality, the quantum world, uh, multiplicity of realities and worlds is like been around for thousands of years. It's nothing new. Uh, that you know, it's 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 been a part of that of tribal reality for tens of thousands of years. It may even go clear back to Africa. So nothing new for tribal people. <laughs> so we think it's a 
it's this new thing that we're using in all our stories and stuff now, and everything is about the parallel universe. And like I said, it gets irritating. But the fact of the matter is it may actually be a distinct reality that we, in our dreams, are in altered states of consciousness. And this has been proven with ayahuasca and with uh, hallucinogenic uh, mushrooms uh, and uh, Grateful Dead. Other people talk about this. Timothy Leary, um, uh, Terrence McKenna, his brother. You know, this is a big thing now. Everybody's sort of talking about it. Paul Stimos. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. Paul Stamets, I think is how you say his name. I'm getting him mixed up with the old soap opera movie star guy. Uh, I listen to him a lot. Uh, sometimes I don't. I just speed through a pronunciation of the last name and not give it uh, the right justice. So Paul Stamets, and I'm probably still saying it wrong, right, Murky? Well, when it comes to pronouncing words, you are certainly one to steer off the main path. I say everything wrong. <laughs> well... Not everything. <laughs> well, thank, thank goodness I have you around to help me. Pass me some more coffee. <laughs> so, it's it, it's it's interesting. Uh, what 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 are we dealing with here? And, and maybe we need a change of pace. And and I, and I have heard, uh, you know, a, a lot of scientists are entertaining this idea now. Not not metaphysics, not mystics and uh, tarot card readers, but scientists, legitimate scientists, if you want to go that route, that the new paradigm for, for the 21st century is going to be multiplicity of realities. I mean, you look at all the cultures, you look at all the different languages, we have the power of the internet now, you go to YouTube, you have all these different languages being spoken, these different ways of thinking, these different religions, and, and they're all accessible. They all come crashing into each other. Who's right? Which, you know, which culture works the best? And of course, the, you know, the answer to that question is obvious. It just depends on where you're at and how long you've been there. But we, it, it, we have a multiplicity of worldviews. And, and that way, um, a multiplicity of realities is something we deal with every day. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to what somebody says is the truth and, and how it's edited and how it's distorted, you know, with the U.S. government. Putin, you know, Ukraine, what's actually going on there? We don't know. Are you there? Have you been there? Even if you're there in a war, and I have been in a war, you don't always know what's going on. And especially people on the outside don't know what's going on. And there's reasons for that. Uh, and so it's, it's a multiplicity of realities, especially in the quantum way. And I think this is what scientists are talking. We're going to have to learn to start dealing with that. We're going to, that's the new shift. I know my, my, my son, uh, Sam, that's, going on 19 years old, it has no problem with that. A multiplicity of reality, a multiplicity of universes is something he's been thinking about since he was a little kid. And all his friends think about it. And, they, and it's just something, and, one, and a couple of his friends are legitimate scientists. He, he hangs out with guys that are older, 21, 22, 23. One of them is, a, is, a, is, a, is an ant scientist. Uh, these guys are pretty smart, and they they entertain these ideas, and they look at the quantum world in a way we never, you know, we're going to have this movie Oppenheimer coming up. Uh, uh, maybe you'll be listening to this broadcast after Oppenheimer comes out, an incredible movie. No, Christopher Nolan may be the, uh, the uh, Orson Welles of our time period. I would suggest you go see that, especially in 7mm. 
we're going to look at what what quantum means in an entertaining way. Look at the life of Oppenheimer, who had a lot of hesitations. I don't know what the, how the movie's going to go about using this bomb that now in the 21st century with Ukraine and with Russia and the United States and, and China, we're looking at a legitimate possibility every day, every hour, where somebody's going to push the button. And you know the way it goes with you know the nuclear option, uh, weapons of mass destruction. When you push the button and you launch that first one, then it's just a, it's, it's a set computerized thing. There will be retali immediate retaliation, and we know what's going to happen. It's a legitimate, you know, and they're saying that this Oppenheimer movie is a horror movie. Because and I have a feeling it's going to look at what, what could happen and what did happen. And, and it may not be a solution. Because the whole thing with, with that was like, um, if we scare the world enough, then, then these world powers will come to, uh, come to the desk and, and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll talk with each other. Because nobody wants to have a nuclear holocaust. Well, you forget that there's Hitlers and, and uh, people like the leader of North Korea. You forget, and, and there's people, I have friends that are complete, completely nuts. I have a friend that wants to, <laughs> he, wants to just, he wants to see the legitimate end of humans, homo sapiens, because he feels like they're a virus that's killing everything else. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you're a human. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, you, you and, and he's like, yeah, and I want to do away with myself too. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this another day. So there's people that really have this idea that the destruction's the way it needs to go. I don't know. Uh, that's you know the theory of chaos. It does it keep getting more and more complex and more and more complex? That's one of the ways chaos goes. Or do you you get to the point where it has to break down and fall apart? And that's the whole thing in the theory of chaos is there's some dynamic that the Newtonian and Newtonian physics you can't see everything that's going on in in the equation in the problem even in the vacuum you can't see that it's it's on a very minute level it's starting to fall apart that there's you can't predict some things and chaos is is that's that's one of the things it's, it it's got so sophisticated it's good now it's going to start falling apart and some people say that's what's going on now with world governments. Do we need governments? Do we need nations? Do we need uh, uh, governments like we have that are run by corporations where, where uh, you just have these lobbyists that control everything, these rich law? And so the, the common man, no wonder people don't vote. You know, anyway, I'm getting off the subject again. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, multiplicity of realities and, and, and literally... For every choice you make, that's a branch off in, in Hugh Everett's uh, view of the multi, the multiverse, multi-worlds, is for every decision made, that creates a legitimate universe. Now, in his, I think in his theory, you can't really jump universes. That's the, pro that's the big problem mathematically. Is yeah, they're there, but you can't really, you can't go in, in them. There's, there's 10,000 U's, different types of U's with different choices, but you can't breach each other's reality. But mystics and people that deal with alternate states of reality, uh, they, they, even religions tend to say, oh, I don't know about that. You, you can. So, all right, what kind of world do we live in? I mean, what, what do you not want to think about? The ghosts, the spirits, the, the the different decisions. Like if you would have been there two seconds earlier. Like I, I think one of the hardest things for me about my girlfriend Tiva's death is I did some things I shouldn't have done. I didn't know she was going to die, tragically. 
But when I look back, that changed the reality. And, and, and the hardest thing about that is there's a possibility that some of the some of the bad decisions I made may have led to my girlfriend's death, not intentionally. And that's really, really hard to realize if I would have done a few things differently, she might still be alive. And other people have these worries. When you're in a war, when you're in a situation where you, you ran a stoplight or you arrived at the train station at 4.22 instead of at 4.10 and you missed your train, and this whole alternate set of circumstances take place and a whole different branch of reality is established. And, and, and I've talked about this with my experiences in ayahuasca where you meet these other beings. And for me, they're not even human. They're, uh, I guess they're almost Pacino-like. You know, this is the, the deities that uh, the Hopi and the Pueblo, ancient, the Pueblo uh, people have here. Uh, there, and so, but for me, this is a very set reality. I don't want to go into lizard people and the greys with UFOs and, um, and because that, that doesn't really fit the criteria of my experience. But there's, there's these alternate realities out there that, that are there and we're starting to learn we're going to have to deal with it. I think the, the great ethnobotanist uh, Richard Evans Schultes when he went into the Amazon, he, he didn't just go as a scientist, he legitimately experienced these tribal realities. He learned a language, he participated in the ceremonies, he participated in the ayahuasca, the yopo, the viral, these very pow powerful hallucinogenic uh, med uh, medicines that are used uh, to, in, the, in these deep, deep ceremonies. He was a part of that. So he didn't just go, his specialty was plants. Uh, and. And so he said, and he's, he's a, he was a pretty good scientist. So this guy's dealing in hallucinogenics. He's the science of plants that it causes to hallucinate and to experience alternate realities. How does a scientist deal with that? And the way Schultes dealt with it was really interesting because he never really, he had to, he had to really establish himself as a scientist. And so he said for, you know, because because plants to these these uh, indigenous tribes, and especially Amazon Basin, northern Amazon, uh, where Schultes well, was a lot of time, um, plants are living beings. And I've talked about this in other episodes, uh, why, why that is. But they're living, sacred deities. And, and, and Schultes experienced that. Did he talk about that? No. What he said was, it, what, we give something a name, a chemistry, Composition. He said, for every sacred deity, I can give you an exact chemical composition of that plant and why it does that to your mind. Um, so, so it's how do you, it's all how you define some. Okay, let's just say it's all energy. I mean, it, we know it's energy, nuclear fusion, fission, but it's all in the name you give it. Is, is it a deity? Is it God? Is it, is it a, Ancestral Pueblo Kachina? Uh, is it uh, the gong show? Uh, is it your emotions? Uh, is it like a soul? Is it mind? Is it consciousness? Or is it pure energy like Spock said on Star Trek or something like that? He even made a song about it. It's, it's, it's in a name. And, and especially in a culture, in a country, there's a lot of power behind words and behind, behind names. How are we defining things? And so... You know, I, Schultes was making an example saying, okay, 
here's the abstraction, and, and here's the pure science. And really, even the pure science itself is an abstraction of the energy. Here's the math. You know, we get so caught up in this rational, you know, rationality, emotions, uh, defining things. Um, what, what is it? How are you defining it? Maybe it all means the same thing, like Brahman Hinduism. People are like, oh, there's so many gods in Hinduism. Well, when you get down to it, it all leads back to Brahma, to this incredible source of, of, of energy. So could you give that a chemical composition? Yes. Can you call it, Can you call him or, or her Brahma? Yes. Abstraction, you know, as an artist, you, you have to, like, work with abstractions. You have to work with emotions. Um, and, and it's... it's how do you how do you draw or paint God? How do you draw or paint nuclear fission or fusion? How do you draw or paint emotions, psychology, opinions, politics, war? So it's these names we have, and and really maybe it's all the same thing. When you you know in science, like a wild canine or a bear, that you know some animals live in science, but they understand each other perfectly. Hang around wild canines like wolves and coyotes. Oh my God, the complexity of their language and their body and the way they move and subtleties are every bit as much as a language as what we speak and what we use as words. And music is the same way. So I think when you're not happy, when you're living a life in a country and a place and you're in debt and, and, and you're working three jobs, I have friends that work, I have a friend that works four jobs to pay his mortgages across the street. Him and his, between him and his wife, they have four jobs. They have six kids in her family. And they're just barely making it. And, and, and he's a really nice guy, but you know what? They're so stressed out all the time, just trying to maintain an average. What, what's wrong with that? Where's the American dream? Where's the land you could get and the cabin you could build? Where's all, the, where's all that land you stole from indigenous people? What did you do with it? How, how, why did it end up being owned by corporations, by, by a government, by, by a country? So when you're, when you're no longer happy, when things have got to the point that you, 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 you've got to change it, you, you've got to change your situation, first of all, personally, and then work from there out. Does your vote really count? I doubt it. it I mean, we've, we've already proven the fact that votes are just these abstractions. We don't even know, for God's sakes, if your vote really works or not. We'd like to think it does. I mean, it's just... It's just We've reached a point, it's, it's so complex and so maddening and owned so much by corporations and an upper 4% of people I'm talking about here in the United States, that something's got to change. Because the complexity of it and, and being uncomfortable just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Especially for what we call middle class. There isn't even a middle class hardly anymore. Struggling to get by. Okay, so getting a little emotions here, right, Murky? <laughs> Right. Okay, moving on. <laughs> but but can we change? Have we reached the point that it's impossible for us to change? We're so stuck in our bills, in our loans, in, in our lifestyles, in our religion, uh, in our relationships, that we, we can't get out. You know, uh, well, this is the best I can do. You know, like my stepdad used to say, well, it's always been done that way. Well, that's bullshit. When I grew up, grew up, it hasn't always been done that way. It's been done that way maybe for you and the, and the, and the 
two or three generations back, but it hasn't always been done that way. That's just horse shit. That's just an excuse to keep doing what you do or, or, or keeping with the habit, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I, I think one of the things here uh, behind in between stations is, you know, this comes from coming home from a war. This comes from uh, death of friends. Uh, this ended their lives because it's just too much for them to take. And I, that's actually quoted out of one of my father's letters before he killed himself. Was he just? He wasn't happy. He didn't see any real possibility in changing the power of, of the machine, of, of the system that he was in. And uh, that's been the end case of several friends, sadly enough. If, if we've arrived at that point and there's enough of us, shouldn't we try to change something? Or are we just so inept that we can't do that anymore? We're so habitual, we're so locked into a process that we can't change it. And there's been some famous thinkers that said that. We've reached a time where where we're so locked into what we're doing that we don't really we, we our vote our, our our open voice doesn't we can't do anything and 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 maybe that we that's 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 a bad that's a bad place to be in we no longer that's what our country was supposed to be founded on was speaking out but are we but have you really changed anything in your life or is it all about how you look and how much money you have and how much power you have and what technology you have? Or is it in an endeavor of heart? Would you like to have your own house or a piece of land? Would you like to experience something outside of the suburban environment? Or do you feel like there's no choice involved? So I, I think questioning things, opening up other realities and seeing that's been a part of life for a long, for thousands and thousands of years. We arrive at a point in, in, in our societies, in our cultures, in our time periods where this has got to end. This is just too much. And the apocalypse may never happen, except inside of you, yourself as an individual. So, it's, it, it's, I, I want to end this um, with a, a famous Twilight Zone episode that challenges this whole concept of reality. It's called Mirror Image. I think it was done in 1960 where the quantum idea was kind of still new. Uh, in fact, uh, and where uh, Hugh Everett's ideas had not been accepted or were even public, actually, uh, multiverse. Uh, and so this is an interesting, although it's the audio of the Twilight Zone, um, it's this woman that's sitting in a bus stop waiting for a bus. This self-thinking, independent, clear-headed woman comes up against something that rattles her, her uh, her concept of reality. And if you've seen this, then you know what I mean. I have a, a really close friend. Uh, we, our, our friendship was actually started on this uh, episode. We watched it one night sitting together. And she's, and since then, we, we, we kind of like our whole relationship, our friendship is based on, on not only alternate realities, but the possibility of previous lives and exploring, uh, exploring a, a, a life that's open to other things, open to uh, exploration, open to other possibilities. And I, before I play this episode, I just want to bring up a, an event since we talked a little bit about the museum I worked in. And uh, we have a lot of uh, Native American, uh, as we call them, artifacts. Uh, some of them are thousands of years old. Some of them are deemed very sacred. And there's 
And usually the docents that take you to the museum are, are from an outside culture. They're not a part of the traditional uh, discipline and education that's available in these really old cultures like Sunni and Hopi. And as I pointed out, there is a huge difference between traditional, which, which from my understanding means being educated in societies and being educated in, uh, you know, I need to get this mic a little closer to me here. I'm still experimenting around with, uh, with the new uh, recording system we have. So, um, yeah, we're always experimenting around, right, Marky? Yeah. So, uh, they're, they're taken through, and there's this kind of like downplayed, less controversial view of the history according to the archaeologists, according to the outside historian. So I had a friend that's a traditionally uh, educated Hopi from First Mesa, and uh, he took a group of museum uh, visitors through and gave a totally different uh, approach than, than you're taught in these docent classes. And his, his approach was from the traditional viewpoint, which we often neglect uh, as outsiders. And that was that the, the, these famous... This, famous pieces of membrane pottery, uh, Hisatsumon pottery, Sanagua pottery. There's another view of that, and that is that these are living beings, that they're portals, that they're, uh, they're, these are, are prayers, that they are, I mean, there's utility pottery, and there's pottery used to eat and to, you know, for daily things, uh, um, drinking and eating, like I said, but there are other pottery that's there that's very sacred. And, um, and he's speaking in particular about these, and these are, these are living beings. These are, um, you know, and it depends on, our, it depends on what, how we define things. Uh, if we want to use a chemical composition, as Richard Evans Schulte says, you know, the fam famous eth ethnobotanist, or if we want to use a mathematical computation, or if we want to call it God, or if we want to call it uh, the other world, or if we want to call it... Uh, um, uh, imagination, you know, depending on what word words are loaded, uh, and but it's 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 energy, it's it's the essence, you know. And that's the thing about the quantum world. It's underneath the the the, the linear plan Newtonian ones. This very chaotic and this very bizarre world that is the foundation of all reality, and it's full of different kinds of reality. It doesn't follow the laws that we see every day in our supposedly nine to five reality. That's the found that's the foundation to everything. And it's very bizarre. And so and this is why I'm saying scientists are starting to say we're gonna to have to entertain this idea of a multiplicity of realities and get used to it, especially with the technology we have. But it's very ancient this concept. And so he goes on to tell the the visitors that, you know, we feed these so-called things that you call pottery. These are deities. These are doorways open to other worlds. These are pathways. These are, are, are means to connect to, to, a, to a beautiful life, uh, to, to a very ancient life, to a life that's connected to all beings on the planet, and, to, and that it's not just humans that are being set up apart from everyone else, but that this is about a way of living. This is about a way of of respecting the creator and respecting his creations. So uh, portals and doorways, an interesting concept. Our televisions, our computers are that too, the things that we're 
exposed to, but also the way they're edited and the way they're put together and manipulated. And we're living in a world of just tremendous manipulation. We, it's very apparent. And you know, with COVID, in these last three years, that we all of us have seen on both on on whatever side you choose, whether you believe COVID is fake or whether you believe the deaths were fake which I don't see because a lot of my friends passed away and died on the reservations, especially with indigenous people. And uh, it, it was a stark reality to me. But nevertheless, we're seeing that we're being, having to stand in line and doing things not we don't necessarily deem as, as, as logical or rational. And it goes against our intuition sometimes as well. So, yeah, okay. Let's uh, let's end things with this uh, interesting uh, twilight zone. I'm not sure how this will work without seeing the visuals. You're welcome to watch Mirror Image. I can even get it on Pluto television right now. The daytime is uh, waking up now. The sun is starting to come up, so we're at the end point in our broadcast. Of course, there were there there was. This is actually a three-hour broadcast. You're only getting part of it on the podcast, but live it was three hours. So. Um, yeah, let's see where this takes us, and uh, love you, and uh, open yourself up to to other possibilities. Um, don't feel like it's the end of things. You can't go any further. And sometimes you feel that way. There's the third member of In Between Stations, our famous cuckoo clock. All right. Ian Murky bid you farewell and to have a beautiful uh, early, early morning. The stars are still up in the sky up there. and It's quite beautiful uh, and nice twilight. Uh, and, of course, here goes the train coming to say goodbye to. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in to In Between Stations Radio. Let's say it together, Murky. We, we love you. you. And good, good night. night. Feeling better? Us. They had to leave. There'll be another before too long. You didn't get on. Oh, that's all right. I'm this late already. A few more hours won't make any difference. Been thinking about something. It's very odd. Remembering what? About something I read or heard about a long time ago. About different planes of existence. About two parallel worlds that exist side by side. And, and each of us a counterpart in this world and and sometimes through through some freak through something unexplainable this counterpart after the two worlds converge comes into our world and and in order to survive it, it has to take over take over replace us move us out so that it can live a little metaphysical for me. I remember reading it somewhere. 
Each of us has a twin in this other world. An identical twin. Maybe that woman I saw. Millicent, there's another explanation. There has to be. One that comes with more reason. We can't explain it. But I know that's what's happened. This other woman. My counterpart. Forget about it, please. Don't think about it. I just thought of something. I've got a good friend who lives in Tully. I'll call him. Maybe he'll bring his car down here for us. He might even be able to drive us into Syracuse. I'll call him. All right, Millicent. Shall I call my friend?
This is In Between Stations Radio.